going to concentrate on verses 15 and 17 in 1 John chapter 2. So if you open up to 1 John chapter 2, you'll see a, a strange, a strange phrase there in verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, it's a strange phrase, but it's not a hard phrase. It's simple. It's straightforward. And it's a comprehensive command. Don't love the things of this world. Don't love the world or the things of this world. That pretty well covers it. It's clear. It's comprehensive. And it also reminds, I think, many of the stereotypes of what our world thinks Christians believe. Do not love the world or the things of the world. It might nicely sum up, in many people's minds, what's wrong with Christianity. Many people think that Christianity is anti the environment. Don't love the world. Many people think that Christianity is anti-enjoyment. Many people think that Christianity has this sense of being detached from the world, disengaged and separate, anti-involvement. Many people think that Christianity is in some ways anti-loving. Don't love the world. In the Danish movie from 1987, Babet's Feast, it tells a story of two elderly and pious sisters, Martine and Philippa. Has anyone seen Babet's Feast? What, two? Two of us have seen it. Well, you should see it's got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a, it's a very good movie. It's old, but it's good. Martine and Philippa live in a small village on a remote western coast in 19th century Denmark. Their father has founded this strict and austere Christian sect, but he is now dead, and these sisters have spurned any enjoyment of the world to preserve this sect that their father had started. And then one day, upon their door, lands this young woman called Babet. And she's a refugee from Paris, escaping war. And she comes with a letter of recommendation as a housekeeper to these two sisters. They welcome her in, and she, Babet, is their cook for the next 14 years. But one day, Babette wins the lottery. And instead of using the money to return to Paris, what she decides to do is to spend all the earnings from the lottery win on one meal. One meal for the town folk, and in particular, one meal for these two sisters who have cared for her over the years. And so the sisters, these austere sisters begin to worry, begin to worry that it's just excessive that they would spend all this money on a meal, just one meal. And so they don't want to, they're hesitant to join Babette and her feast. But eventually they do agree to decide that to decide to eat the meal. But they agree, firstly, not to enjoy it, nor to ever speak about it. 
lest they might enjoy speaking about it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Is this what John is saying? Do not enjoy the world. Do not enjoy the feast. John has, in the book of 1 John, been giving a series of tests, a series of tests to to provide evidence that you have a vital and vibrant faith or relationship with God. We saw a couple of weeks ago that one of those tests is our obedience to his commands. We are to love what God gives, his commandments. Last week, we saw that we are to love his people. We're to love our brothers and sisters. We're to love who God loves. And all that kind of makes sense to our minds. But it's jarring to hear verse 15, isn't it? Do not love. Love your brothers, but do not love the world. It's odd. It's confusing. If you flick over to 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, you'll see that there in verse 14, God has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. So what are we to do? We're not to love the world, but at the very same time, God has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. You've seen the sky, the sky riding yesterday, John 3.16. Anyone see that? We saw it. God so loved the world. Do not love the world. Do not love the world which he has sent his son because he loves. It's confusing. Which world is John talking about? I don't know if you've seen the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. Calvin's in a fighter jet in the cartoon and over the radio comes this message, enemy at two o'clock. And Calvin thinks to himself, what am I supposed to do until two o'clock? Yes, we'll get it at supper. Some of us will get it at supper. It's confusion, confusion in language, isn't it? Confusion in language. We've got to know what the words mean. And the word for world in John's epistle and in, indeed in the gospel has many different meanings. Some scholar, one scholar says that the word world has up to six different meanings. But the way that John is using the word world here is important for us to understand. And I think the way he's using it here is in its narrow sense. He's not using it in a universal um, sense for absolutely everything. Because notice what he says there in verse 16. He says, don't love the world. But there in verse 16, he says, for everything in the world, the craving of sinful man, the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he has and does. Notice what John doesn't say there in verse 16. He doesn't say all that is in the world, all the people, all the cities, all the mountains, all the oceans, all the art and all the architecture, all the institutions and all the academies. He doesn't say that. No, he's quite specific about what he says. He says the desires of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes and the boasting or the pride in possessions. What binds all these things together there in verse 16 that we aren't to love? Well, what binds them all together is that they are not from the Father, but from the world. 
You see what John is doing? He's contrasting what's from the world, what's of the world, what has its source in the world, and what has its source in the Father, what is from the Father. John is not talking about the world of God's creation here when he says there in verse 15, do not love the world. He's not talking about the world of God's creation. He's talking about the world of sin's rebellion. And it's important that we understand this distinction because worldliness sees the world without reference to God. That's what flesh or sinful man means. It's, it's just the material existence. It's just us apart from God, detached from God, separated from God. Worldliness does not mean involvement in the world. It means involvement in the world without God, without reference to God. Because you notice where John there in verse 16 locates worldliness? He doesn't locate it out there, does he? Where does he locate worldliness? He locates it in here. He says the desires, the cravings, the lusts, the worldliness is not out there. Worldliness is in here in John's minds, in our hearts. You see, it's a very important question, not just for Christians, and it's not a a question that Christians have only answered. The question is, what is wrong with the world? It's a very important question. Many people have sought to answer that. Notice what John says, what's wrong with the world is what's wrong with us, our desires, our pride. G.K. Chesterton was famous in saying, what's wrong with the world? I am, he said as he wrote to a newspaper. See, what's wrong with desire? Is it that the desires of what we want are somehow connected with our bodies and therefore, because they're connected with our bodies, they must be sinful. Well, David Brooks is an um, American journalist who's become quite interested in Christianity towards the later stages of his life. I think he's from a Catholic background and he wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Road to Character. And in it, he really discovers the thinking of the 5th and 4th century Christian um, theologian, St. Augustine. And it's fantastic for him because he he hasn't heard of St. Augustine. He hasn't read any of his um, thinking. And what he comes to discover is that Augustine says that the fundamental problem is in our world that there is something broken not just out there, but there is something broken in here. And the thing that is broken is not our desires. It's not our loves, Augustine says. That's not what's broken. The problem is not that we love, because humans have an incredible capacity to love. Incredible capacity to love. And Augustine says that there's nothing wrong with that. He says that our loves are out of whack, they're disordered, they're confused, they're disproportionate. We love with the wrong priorities, we love the wrong things at the wrong time. We sin when our loves are out of order. 
David Brooks, David Brooks writes this. He says, We all love a lot of things. We love family, money, affection, status, truth. And we all know that some loves are higher. We know that the love of family is higher than the love of money. But when those ranks begin to shift, that's when sin comes in. Our love of truth should be higher than our love of money. But if we are lying to get money, we're putting the love of money out of order. If a friend tells a secret and then you blab at a dinner party, you're putting the love of popularity above the love of friendship. You see, our loves are out of order. What David Brooks discovered through the thinking of St. Augustine is that the problem is not that we love. That's not the problem. The problem is that we don't love the very person that we are to love the most, God himself. And when we don't love God properly, and when we don't love God as our first love and our first priority, everything else becomes out of whack. We are to love God and then we are to love everything and everyone else out of that reality. And so the problem is not that our desires are connected with our body. It's that our bodies that God has created are disconnected from him. That's why that last clause of verse 16 helps us understand that all these things, these cravings, these desires, this boasting come not from the Father, but from the world. The desires of the flesh do not put God and love for others before self. Because they're not from God. They're not good gifts from God. Our world is a good gift from God. But the desires of the flesh, our cravings, aren't from God. And so therefore, aren't good. We know this. We know this in the reality of our lives. We know that it's so easy to love ourselves. It's so easy to place our own security, our own comfort, our own happiness, our own satisfaction, our own name above others and even above God. Secondly, John speaks about the lusts of the eyes. It's not just the desires and the cravings of the flesh of sinful man, but also it's it's the lusts of the eyes. And this goes back to the very start of the scriptures as we see the world created. And in Genesis 3, Eve looks at the fruit and she saw it and it was what? Pleasing to the eye. And it's not that she... And the problem was not that she desired beauty. The problem was not that she desired satisfaction, but as she saw that fruit and took it, the source for her satisfaction, the source for her beauty shifted and there went her demise and the demise of humanity. David, King David, up on his roof, looked over and saw Bathsheba and she was what? She was pleasing to his eyes. And there in that moment, the source of his satisfaction the source 
of and his desire for beauty shifted in that moment and there went his demise and the demise of the kingdom. See, when John is speaking about the lust of the eyes, it is not merely sexual. It's not less than that, but it's not restricted to that. Because the lusts of the eyes involve our whole selves. Because we see. We see with our eyes. And what do we see? We see others. And what do we see about other people? We see their success. We see their homes. We see their cars. We see their holidays. And that's when the lust of the eyes begins to take hold. Our whole world is indeed set up in this way. And in, in fact, I think it's becoming increasingly the case. They've done studies of um, publications, the proportion of text, written text, to pictures is diminishing. Uh, the amount of text um, most publications now have increasing um, levels of photography and image and reduced numbers of words. If you want to sell a product, you pay an influencer to place your product on what social media platform? What's that? Instagram. What's Instagram about? It's just all about pictures, right? It's all about pictures. And it's big business. Because why? It's not just sex. It's everything that you can sell on Instagram because it's the lust of the eyes. We see what we don't have and we want what we don't have. We cover... We covet what we don't have. We see other things around us. We see other people's lives and we want that. We want that for ourselves. And we want that because we have a disordered, an inordinate desire, a confused desire. It's nothing, it's nothing wrong about the desire for a house or shelter or food. But the lust of our eyes, our sinful nature confuses those desires. Deep down we want these things. We want these things because we think when we see them in our world, we think that those things will bring us contentment, satisfaction and happiness apart from God and apart from his love. But if they are not from the Father, they aren't good gifts for us. Thirdly, John speaks about the boasting of possessions, of what we have and what we do there in verse 16, the third temptation there. What does John mean here? Well, sometimes it's translated there as verse 16 as the um, pride in life, the boasting in possessions. It's, it's hard to translate. The same word is used if you want to flick over to 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. In verse 17, if anyone has material possessions, so it has a, has a stuff element about it. But it's not just that we have material possessions. That's not what John is talking about here. He's talking about the boasting in those things, the pride that comes from them, the self-satisfaction when we surround ourselves with these things. Jesus warns of this reality in Luke chapter 12. He tells this story about a rich man who was boasting Jesus says in Luke 12 that there was a man who had this land and the land had um, great ability for production. 
He has a great year, a bumper crop, and his windfall gives him everything that he would need. In fact, more than he would need. In fact, more than his family would need. There is so much to gather from this crop that he doesn't know how to store it. And so he invests in barns. And we think, that's good. That's good. But in the parable, Jesus calls this man a fool. Because God says to him, this night your soul will be required of you. And the things that you have prepared, the things that you've worked for, who will they go to? Whose will they be? When the Bible speaks about a fool, the Bible isn't speaking about someone with a low IQ, lacking intellectual ability. Now, when the Bible speaks about a fool, it speaks about someone who lives their lives without reference to God. And so you can have smart fools, dumb fools. The problem with the rich man is that in every circumstance of his life that he has... He knows that it is simply the product of his labour, of his intellect, of his industry. And so accordingly, he believes that his financial security is security. And he says to himself, eat, drink and be merry. Jesus challenges this thinking He says that a man's life doesn't consist in the size of his barns. It doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, where we think life is at is not where Jesus thinks life is at. As good as barns are, as necessary as crops are for life, they're not the ultimate reality for us as people. And as Jesus tells this story to draw people into relationship. John makes this point to people who are already in relationship. He makes this point in John 2 to Christians. And so we need to just step back and and ask ourselves, to what extent is this at work in us? Are the desires of the flesh the pride in our possessions, the lust of the eyes. To what extent is that an issue for us? And so I want to ask you just three things quickly. I want to ask you, what excites you in life? And in fact, what gets you really worried? Because whatever excites you and whatever gives you a level of anxiety, you know, they're things that you value. They're things that you value. And so to be eaten up with anxiety and worry over the things of this world, to be so excited only with the things of this world, suggests to us, if that is the case, then it could well be that we are meeting this very reality that John is speaking about. Secondly, look how you spend your money. If you, aren't, if you aren't able to give away some of your wealth because you are so consumed by what you can spend it on, then it might be that you have 
a degree of pride in the boasting of life. Look at your time and how you use your time. Look at how busy you are. Could it be that all the busyness that so many of us are involved in isn't actually about the realities and the importance of our lives? It's actually about us not wanting to miss out, being driven by fear and a lack of contentment with what God has given us. There are three things to think about. Let me finish with this. The problem is that we live this way. The problem is that the lust of our eyes, the pride in possessions, the desires of the flesh, so grip us. They so grip us. And that's why verse 17 is so helpful as a point of reference, as a benchmark for us to consider. Have a look there in verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. You see what John is saying? He's saying... In some ways, if you live to look good, if that's what your whole existence is based on, how you look, well, then you'll be disappointed because your beauty will fade. If you live your whole life wanting to feel good, then you'll be disappointed because you'll feel the reality of pain in your life. If you think by eating the right things and doing the right things, you'll be indestructibly content doing yoga on the beach. So wonderfully happy, you're going to be disappointed. Because none of those things last forever. Notice there in verse 17, the world and its desires, the desires of the world, there in verse 17... They're passing away. They're passing away. But the only thing that doesn't pass away, the only thing that does last forever is the love of God and loving the things of God in the right proportion. The fact that the world is passing away actually helps us to love the world more because we know that this world and its desires are not everything. We're not driven and controlled. They're not the ultimate reality for us. We're living for a reality that's beyond simply what we want and our desires and what we can see. See, what do you long for ultimately? Because if Jesus isn't in the picture, then it will be gone. It will pass away. You see, we as human beings are not homo sapiens primarily. We're not thinking beings. We're homo adherents. We're primarily loving beings. We adore things. We love people. We're desiring beings. And so if we are loving beings, if we are desiring beings, don't you want that love to last? How does it last? It lasts when you love the things that will last. When your security and contentment is found in a loving relationship with God, receiving his love and then reflecting it to the world. See, why is it that the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of possessions, why do they grip us so much? Why do they take control over us so easily? Why does Instagram work in our world? Well, In those things that we want, 
in those things that are surrounding our world. We see in them a sense of satisfaction. We see in them, in them contentment. We see in them security. And we desire these things. We desire these things because I think ultimately we want to know that we are loved. We want to know that we are loved. And so how do we train ourselves in a world that so often grips us? In a world that John writes to warn the church about How do we train ourselves to love properly, to woo ourselves from the flesh, the eyes and possessions, and to love his kingdom above all else? Well, look again at verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, what is absent? What is absent in verse 15? What is absent is the love of the Father. The love of the Father is not in him. If you want not to love the world, you don't need to love less, but you need to be loved more, to know that the love of the Father is in you, that you are loved above all else through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week I had a friend stay up from Tasmania. Last time he was up, he was showing me photos of his garden. It was a beautiful garden. It was so vibrant that they could produce pretty well all their veggies from their garden for a family of four. Came up last week and he wasn't showing me photos of his garden. He was showing me photos of his camper van. I asked to see photos of his garden. He said, I don't have any, it's gone. It's, um, why? Because he once loved his garden, but now... He loves his camper van. See, how do we get rid of a love? Well, it's when we find a greater love. This is what Thomas Chalmers called the, power, the expulsive power of a new affection. A new love dislodges the old one, the love of God. The love of God is the only thing that displaces the love of the world. The love of God that he is for us and that nothing can separate us from us. That his love is the conquering love that keeps us safe and brings us home. His love is the love that emptied heaven of its treasure temporarily so that we might be his treasure eternally. His love is so committed to us that he gave his only son. He shed his precious blood. The father paid the highest price. You see, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are loved. And if we are loved and we know that we are loved, that displaces, that pushes out the smaller loves of our world. We are loved and we are accepted in him because he is the greatest spouse. He is the perfect father. He is the compassionate brother and he's bringing us into the perfect family of harmony, security and love. We have been joined together as a privileged priesthood with a purpose now. We are now part of a kingdom that will conquer and its wealth will never be stolen. This is the love that God has brought us into. And when we get that, when we're reminded of that, when we bask in that and enjoy that, That drives out all our other loves. They become small and even pathetic. It reframes his love. His love reframes and reorders our loves in the proper order. 
And so all we need to do is to dwell in his love. Amen. Please.